hard to see because of the smoke and because it's a small picture. But that's Geraldine Lakes that Madison was talking about. See this waterfall here? Right here was that crazy uh, shale slope that she was talking about. And it was crazy, crazier than I remember. Uh, I've done that hike before, and I didn't remember that. But uh, everyone who did it, I think, felt a real sense of um, relief and excitement. So, as I mentioned before, the theme for the week was water, um, salvation in the water. Uh, the mountains are beautiful in and of themselves. The, the wildlife, the flowers and trees, everything is beautiful. But it's hard to imagine the mountains without water, right? Um, lakes, rivers, waterfalls, glaciers, all of those things help make the, the mountains that much more beautiful. And we did visit some lakes. We went to Geraldine Lakes, which is uh, you hike up to the first lake, hike along it, you um, go through the rocks, and there's a little pond thing. Climb some waterfalls, and there's a second big lake up at the top. And if you get to the second big lake, then you did it. And a bunch of the kids did it. Um, Talbot Lake, which is just you cruise along the side. A bunch of kids are marked about how nice it would be to canoe in that one because it's beautiful. Jasper Lake, which is an informal, it's kind of just a floodplain for the Athabasca River. And, and you've probably seen it if you've driven to Jasper. Cars parked along the side, and people walk. You can walk all the way across that lake. It's like knee height at most. Um, we did visit there and it was a lot of fun and just all the little unnamed you drive by and there's these crystal clear blue mini lakes just everywhere. and So beautiful. And rivers, we, we, um, you drive along the Athabasca river for most of Jasper, um, Athabasca falls, uh, the river, you can go down to the river and it, kids always enjoy doing that. Uh, Moline Canyon, uh, the Moline river flows through Moline Canyon. It's actually... People think the largest underground river in Canada. Um, it goes from the lakes, which are some like a 45-minute drive away, all the way under the ground, and then comes out in the canyon. And the canyon is beautiful with the river there. We saw waterfalls. We saw Athabasca Falls, Sunwapta Falls, which is um, this huge plunge waterfall, and you can hike down to see the second waterfalls too. Um, Geraldine Lakes had a couple waterfalls that you get to climb up beside, which is super fun. Uh, and Moline Canyon, there's... In the canyon, on the canyon walls, there's all these like bridal veil waterfalls that, that, that trickle down. It's just gorgeous. And glaciers. We didn't get to do Edith Cavell, which has Angel Glacier in it. And it's so beautiful. That hike was closed. We, we were planning to go to the ice fields um, where the big glaciers are, but we didn't do that either. But on Geraldine Lakes here, there's one little glacier that we saw. Benji and I had hiked up to that glacier previously, but we didn't this year. Um, so lakes, rivers, waterfalls, glaciers, it's hard to imagine the mountains without these things. And the mountains are actually the source of a lot of our drinking water, right? Um, the Pembina is sourced in the foothills. The Athabasca is sourced at Athabasca Glacier. Those are major rivers in our area, major sources of water and, and life, and they come from the mountains. Water is present in the most beautiful and surprising ways in Jasper, and in the most beautiful and surprising ways in Scripture. Um, in the salvation story of the Bible, water pops up again and again. And so I just want to walk through a little bit what my lessons were, and hopefully hopefully you can find some encouragement there as well. So Monday night we got there, we set up camp, and we set up camp, so I also set up um, the, the themes for the week in my message. We talked about Genesis 1, um, partly because it was super fresh from Matthew's talk a couple weeks ago, but... Also because it's the beginning. It's the beginning of our story, Genesis 1. 
And the creation story, there's water present in the beginning. You probably remember Matthew talking about God hovering over the chaos of the waters. Um, we talked about how it, little Israel was like this little mom paw grocery store crammed in between Egypt, which is like Walmart, and Babylon, which is like Costco. And so what chance does Israel have to, to grow and thrive and for their message to be heard? And their message of creation, of the purpose of human life on earth, is vastly different from those other gigantic ones. Um, they have a completely different story to tell. What does the water of Genesis 1 tell us? It tells us that God is in control. That God is in control. That he merely speaks and chaos is subdued. Unlike the other nations, Matthew mentioned this in his talk and I mentioned it to the campers, the other nations, it's all about battles and bloodshed and, and human life is slavery and the gods had to battle to conquer the sea and to conquer the river and it, it's very ugly. But that's not Israel's little Israel stuck in the middle of these giant nations. They have a different story and their story is that he is one God, one God alone, that he is above his creation, not part of his creation, he is above it, and that he is in control. But what does Genesis 1 say about us, campers and churchgoers alike? God uses his power and control to create things that he loves and values. And we had them look around and see things that were right there in the campsite, things like Mount Takara. You can see that's the mountain you see right across from our campsite. On the other side, there's the Whistlers. Um, this It was never clear enough for me to get this picture this week. That's a picture from last year. But this is from this this year, this week. It's a really beautiful sunset. Um, and God made those things, and he loves and values those things. The wildflowers in the campground, the gophers. He loves the gophers just as much as Angie loves the gophers. Um, she hates the gophers. But more than those things, the campers. God loves and values and creates us. So I said to them, I'm not sure what they're going through, what, what chaos there is in their life. I know a few stories, and I had a few stories illuminated to me during the week. I went for a van ride, just me and one other camper. He really needed to talk, and I'm not going to say his name to protect his privacy, but the stories that he told me of the chaos in his life were just absolutely uh, heartbreaking. And there's like abuse that goes back years and years and generations in his family. Um, there is neglect. There is injury. There is self-harm. And there's no one other than one school worker that he could trust to tell these things to. And so very lonely, very depressed. And that school worker has now moved away. So I was really honored that he shared those stories with me, the stories of the chaos in his life, because now I can care for him a little better. Um, now God can show control in the midst of that chaos. There's other stories, other campers with heartbreaking stories. And for these campers and from i mean i've never dealt with anything like any of that in my life but even for me jasper camp can be a place where you see god in control of that chaos where there is beauty and goodness no matter what dark thing is happening those people those young people have to deal with a lot of chaos and then there's the chaos created by them which we talked about on tuesday night which i'll talk about in a second and the word for that is sin but they just have to deal with a lot of mess 
But here's the message of day one. In all that chaos, God is in control. He uses his powerful control to show love and value to his wonderful creation, which includes each of us. That brings us to Tuesday. Tuesday, we did Athabasca Falls and then Geraldine Lakes, which was the only big hike we were able to do. Um, And it was beautiful. And that night, we talked about the story of Noah from Genesis 6 to 8. I showed the kids the difference between Genesis 1 and 6. So here's the whole Bible, right? Here's Genesis 1. And they just had to turn like a couple pages. Genesis 1, God creates everything. It's very good. Just a couple pages later, you have God saying this. Uh, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of, his, of their hearts was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. It went from very good to I got to wipe them out and start again. It's no good. Very good to no good in just six chapters. And it's crazy how how far humanity devolves into itself. And you don't need to read Genesis 6 to see that in our world. Those stories that I just mentioned are very good examples of how ugly humanity can get. And so this is what God's plan is. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. So we had the kids look at this mountain here, Whistler Mountain, and imagine the water being 20 feet higher than that. Um, The water representing judgment and wrath and, and God's anger at sin. And we said it doesn't sound a lot like a loving God who values his creation, does it? If he's just willing to wipe it out. It doesn't sound like a loving God. But then we switched gears and talked about Athabasca Falls. A picture from a few years ago as well. Athabasca Falls is just stunningly beautiful. It's one of my favorite places on on earth. I love going there. I've been there a couple dozen times. But the best, I asked the kids, what's your favorite part about Athabasca Falls? And Going down to the river and just the, the power of the water. To me, my favorite part about Athabasca Falls is all the little, um, like you can see the groove marks where the water has churned and cut it, cut it out. And there's the water pots where water kind of spins and then comes out and makes these. And there's abandoned channels where the waterfall used to be. And to me, all of that speaks to patience. I love the patience of Athabasca Falls. That every year, a little bit more rock and sand gets worn over the falls and creates something new in Athabasca Falls. And over thousands and thousands of years of constant, violent grinding, it results in something new and beautiful. Um, And God, I think, does this with the story of the flood. that He uses his power to create good things out of violence and chaos and brokenness. And the word for that is sin. That sin is like those rocks grinding away at us. 
But God is able to, with great patience, make something good out of that. So the message for that night was, none of us is perfect, and we all make mistakes. I highlighted a few of mine. But thankfully, God is patient with each one of us. Um, We deserve wrath, but we don't get wrath. Sure, there is violence in the story of Noah, but we all know how ugly the world can get. And still God makes good and beautiful things out of that story, and he does the same in our story, just as he does with Athabasca Falls. Patience, violence, but beauty and goodness and regeneration. Then we got to Wednesday. Wednesday was supposed to be water day, so we go to Moline Canyon and then on to play in the lake and then on to the hot springs, but we thought it would be chilly, so we didn't do the, the lake. We just did the canyon and the hot springs. And that night, we went from Old Testament to New Testament. The first two nights were about the intention and the disruption, how God created us and loves and values us and has power and control, but that got disrupted by sin. Um, those first two nights were about what our powerful, patient, loving creator is communicating to us in the stories of Genesis 1 and the flood. Well, this night, Wednesday night, we moved on to the four Gospels. We read a story from each of the four Gospels, and I love having kids who've never really cracked open a Bible, open their Bible and find things. It brings me great joy. And so we did that. This night, we moved on to the Gospels to hear a few stories about Jesus and water. Um, the first was Jesus walking on water, which my intention was to go to Jasper Lake because you get the sensation of walking on water at Jasper Lake. You're way out in the middle of the lake, and as I mentioned, it's only up to your knees. And when you drive by and you see people way out there, it looks like they're walking on water. Here's a picture from, uh, this one was from 2014. I didn't actually get any pictures this year. And so the first story we looked at was Jesus actually walking on water. Like not this, he was actually walking across the Sea of Galilee, which is deep, and he was walking on it. And we, we read Matthew 14, and just an introduction, like just like you will be walking on water, could have walked on water at Jasper Lake Campers. Jesus actually did walk on water, that he was the master of creation. And we looked at Peter's attempt and failure to step out in faith and do the same. And Peter's going to come back. We're going to meet Peter again. But he, the passage ends with the disciples saying, truly, you are the son of God. And so that's a good introduction to who Jesus is. Powerful. Truly, he is the Son of God. And the next story we looked at was from Luke 8, and it's the story of Jesus calming the storm. The storm is Jesus in the boat. We sang with Jesus in the boat. I can smile at the storm. Um, Because, of course, we did. And the storm is there, and the boat's rocking. The disciples, who are professional fishermen, lots of them, they know about dangerous waves. They're afraid they're going to die. And Jesus is in the back sleeping. They can't believe it. And so they wake him in great fear. And he stands up and just does this. Actually, it says he rebukes the wind and the waves, which is hilarious. It just means he went, knock it off. Stop it, you. Smarten up. And the wind and the waves obey him. And we we looked at how that's exactly like Genesis 1, that the same kind of power with just a word that God used to create, Jesus does that to to bring order out of chaos. And the, the passage ends again with the disciples saying something that we need to say as well. Who is this? He commands even the wind and water, and they obey him. That question of who is this, first they say, truly, you're the son of God. And now we say, who is this? That's an important question for the campers to ask. Then we went to Mark 8, which is a super weird story. I'm actually going to read it because I I don't know how many people are familiar with this story. 
They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit, so there's the water element, spit, gross, on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. I don't know what that's about. We'll just move on. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. In other words, don't tell anyone about this. But of course, the guy went and told everyone about it because he can see now. Um, And so in that story, um, with just his voice, Jesus had calmed the chaotic sea. And now with just his spit and his touch, the blind receive sight. That's how powerful he is. But it's more than just power. Jesus calms the sea, not just to show off. He does it to save his disciples. And he doesn't heal this blind man to show off, obviously, because he goes out of the town, tells him not to tell anyone. He does that because he loves this blind man. Just as he loved the lame and the leprous and all these outsiders, Jesus went to them and used his power to show love to them. And you guys know all about that. Um, But I wanted the campers to see that's who Jesus is. That's how he uses his power. And we close with another weird one about water from the Gospel of John, John 2. Jesus' first miracle, uh, pop quiz, what was Jesus' first miracle? Water into wine. And it's a super weird and kind of dangerous for you to tell that story to a bunch of teenagers that Jesus' first first miracle was he turned a bunch of water into booze. So you had to tread lightly. But his first miracle features water. And it's obviously not about drinking excessively. He doesn't turn water into wine to really ramp the party up. In fact, the guests at the party say something interesting. They say, usually usually the host has the good wine at the beginning when everyone is still with it. And then as they get less and less with it, you bring out the cheap stuff. Um, But not Jesus. The water that Jesus turned into wine, that wine was delicious. It was the best wine they've ever had. And somebody even in the story in John 2 says, You save the best for last. And we talked about all these miracles. Jesus, he walks on water. He calms the storm. He heals the the blind and the lame and the sick. But he saves the best for last. And that's true of Jesus, his own life. He saved the best for last in his resurrection. Um, That is the best thing. But it's also true in our lives, that the best is yet to come. That he does have power and he does use it to show love and show you how much you're valued. But there's still something better even yet to come if we put our faith in him. In all these stories of Jesus, the lessons of creation in Noah are told in new ways. Like his father, Jesus is powerful, using that power to show patience, compassion, and love to broken people in need of redemption. Like the disciples, like the blind man, and like the campers, and like you. Um, So he uses his patience, compassion, and love to show broken people redemption. And the best is yet to come for those who believe in him and follow him. And so for each of us, the question is the same as it was for the disciples. Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? What does it mean to follow him? If you're following along, we're now at Thursday night, so you know there's only two nights left. Try and go quick. Um, Thursday night was John 4, which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, The context is it's Israel versus Samaria, which is like I said to them, just so stupid that I keep going back to it because I think only I think this way. But it's like Barhead versus Westlock. 
this huge rivalry where really they're very much the same, very similar, uh, Israel and Samaria too. Um, and we, we read the story and, and we brought out these little details like Israel's the desert and they're at a well and it's noontime. And normally you would fetch water in the morning and the evening when it's cool. So what kind of person do you think hangs out at a well in the heat of the day? And I'll ask you, what kind of person do you think that would be? Somebody who's trying to avoid other people. That's exactly right, Bill. And so Jesus is there and this woman shows up. Um, This woman shows up at noontime because she is a woman of ill repute. Uh, Nobody else will want anything to do with her and she doesn't really want anything to do with anyone else. And she talks with Jesus. Actually, Jesus talks to her. So Jesus was a Jewish man and a rabbi talking to an immoral woman. He should not be doing this. By all cultural context, cultural accounts, he should not be hanging out with this woman. I mentioned it's kind of like if a pastor like myself was hanging out outside of a strip club. It's just not a place that somebody like me should be seen. And it's not a place Jesus should be at the well at noon with this woman, this sinful woman. And there's this, not just a a woman talking to a man, not just a sinner talking to a, a rabbi, a Samaritan talking to an Israel. So there's like strike after strike after strike against this woman. And there's this push and pull between them. Jesus gives these invitations, and she misunderstands or stubbornly um, avoids his invitations. There's this constant back and forth. Jesus offers living water. She says, you think you're better than Jacob who made this well? Jesus offers inner streams that will well up to eternal life, and you'll never thirst again. She doesn't understand. And there's this back and forth that I see a lot of myself in. Um, just this avoidance of what Jesus has to offer. But then he drops a bombshell on her. He says he knows all about her many divorces, five divorces, and that the man she's living with now isn't her husband. Um, This broken lifestyle, but still he offers her these unimaginable gifts. And so the question was, could he be the Messiah, she wonders. Um, I said to the kids, I'm not sure what your secrets are, and I'm saying to you, I'm not sure what your secrets are that you try to hide from him, but God sees them. He knows He knows what in you deserves the flood of Noah. He knows the worst of you. But he he still refuses to destroy us. In fact, he doesn't just refuse to destroy us. He persists, even in our brokenness, he persists to give us blessings, to give us good things. He offers us living water that will continually refresh us, a life that isn't easy but is satisfying, like a parched throat in the desert. That's the life that Jesus offers us hope and peace, joy, um, and love and acceptance. Um, and so these campers, I don't know what they're dealing with, but each one of them, just like each one of you, is like that woman. Um, Jesus is unafraid to come to us despite our brokenness. And that night, Madison actually followed it up with a testimony um, about identity that really beautifully illustrated how the living water offered by Jesus satisfies the thirst we have in ourselves when it comes to unrealistic expectations and social pressures. And uh, I couldn't have done a better sermon illustration than her own personal story. And then was Friday morning. I hate Friday morning of Jasper Camp. I hate it. Not only because I hate packing up tents and filling the trailer. I just hate saying goodbye to that week. But while they were having breakfast and were groggy and half awake, I talked to them. Two quick stories. Um, The first was Matthew 8 the story of the wise and foolish builder. 
the wise man builds his house upon the rock. He hears the words of Jesus and builds his life upon it. The foolish man, he builds it on sand, and then when the water comes, there's the water theme, it knocks it down and it collapses. And so in Matthew 8, Jesus says, whoever hears these words and puts them into practice has a strong foundation and won't collapse when the chaotic and painful storms of life rain down on us. We will be strong in him. And we talked about what a good response to that looks like. And we use Peter as an example. Peter, who we had looked at earlier in the week. Peter, the screw-up. Peter, who denied Jesus three times. He got a second chance to meet Jesus, and he didn't let that one pass. They're on a boat. It's after Jesus has resurrected, but they haven't really seen him. I Actually, I don't know if they've seen him at all at this point. I'm not sure. But Peter and some disciples are in the boat. They're fishing. They're not catching anything. And then there's this dude on the shore who says, Hey, throw your nets on the other side. And they do, and they bring up a net. 153 fish or whatever, a huge number of fish that they can barely get the net up. And Peter right away recognizes, actually John, the apostle, says to him, hey, I think that's the Lord. And Peter, he doesn't care who's watching. He doesn't care what they think. He doesn't care what he's got on him. He ties up his robe and he dives in. And he swims to shore. He swims the couple hundred yards to shore. Even though they're like, they're already, they're like, okay, we're coming in anyway, Peter. Like, settle down. But Peter doesn't care. He wants to get to his Lord. He has a chance to fix his mistake. He has a chance for redemption. And so he dives in. He jumped in to go to Jesus. And Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Peter says yes. And so he's redeemed. He jumps in to go to Jesus and was redeemed. And I offered the same invitation to the campers. And I offer it as a renewal to you this morning as well. Now that you've heard the foundations through the water stories of Scripture, you've heard about your initial value, how that's lost, how Jesus brings it back, even to broken people like us. Now that you have the foundations, why not jump in? Why not jump in deeper? Can you see who Jesus is? Do you want living water that will make you never thirst again? Do you believe the one who is powerful enough to create Mount Takara? to form Athabasca Falls with patience, the one who's loving enough to fix the broken relationships between us, between nature, between ourselves, between God himself? Do you believe he can bring goodness and beauty out of chaos? If you do, then dive in and be redeemed. There is salvation in the waters of Scripture. My prayer then and now is that there is also salvation for these campers in the waters of Jasper National Park. For the 40 people who journeyed together in the smoke, in the sickness, and in the powerful beauty of Jasper Camp, I pray that we found a little bit more salvation, that the kids wanted to, to dive in. We have some work to do, us as leaders following up on that, but in the water there is hope, there is salvation. I'm thankful for this church, for supporting us, and for the excellent leaders who came made it all possible, and for each and every camper who got to experience a little bit of the salvation in the story of Scripture. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that in the mountains we see your power, your patience, your goodness, your beauty, and your compassion and love. I pray for each of the campers who came, that they leave knowing you better, that in the stories of water they see your love for them, how much you value them. Jesus how much you want to pursue them, and how much you want each of us, excuse me, to dive into you. 
Jesus, I pray that we would be faithful to dive in uh, as well, whether we've been a Christian for a long time or just new to this thing. Help us to dive in deeper. Um, We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. The Gophers. He loves the Gophers just as much as Angie loves the Gophers. Um, She hates the Gophers.